Welcome to My Cousin Jane, a podcast about Jane Austen and her works, with your host, Lee Phelan. Hello, everyone, and welcome to a brand new season of the My Cousin Jane podcast. Just like last season, we're going to be going on a chapter-by-chapter journey through one of Jane Austen's books. But instead of examining the hidden meanings and deep literary themes of the books, we'll be exploring what you might think of as the -the behind-the-scenes featurettes or deleted scenes of your favorite movie. Last season was all about the book Persuasion, which is my personal favorite. This season will feature what is arguably Jane Austen's most popular book, Pride and Prejudice. One thing we will try to do a bit more of this season is to summarize the events of the chapter. So let's dive right into chapter one. Now, chapter one is super short. In my mass market paperback version, it's barely three pages long. But in those three pages are two interesting things I want to talk about. First, despite the fact that it's only three pages, we're introduced to a whopping 10 different characters by name, which is pretty remarkable. Second, at the start of the chapter, we have the most quoted line in all of Jane Austen's books, and possibly the most quoted line in the entire romance genre. And it would seem wrong to go much further without hearing that line. Now, just like last season, our audiobook excerpts come courtesy of the talented Karen Savage and LibriVox.org. It is a truth universally acknowledged that a single man in possession of a good fortune must be in want of a wife. Of course, the single man in question is Mr. Bingley, who has just rented Netherfield Park. Mrs. Bennet is excitedly conveying this all-important piece of news to her husband in the hopes that he'll pay him a visit so that one of their daughters can later marry the man. We talked quite a bit about the concept of letting in season one, because it plays such a big part of the inciting incident of persuasion. But in review, if you own a property, you can let someone live there in exchange for paying rent. The property owner is said to let the house, and the tenant is said to be renting the house, or sometimes to have taken the house. In modern times, let and rent are sometimes used interchangeably, though they don't technically mean the same thing. We also talked last season about house names. Most estates in the United Kingdom were, and still are, named. Even smaller, less extensive homes were sometimes named, such as Winthrop in Persuasion. If you own a house in the UK today, for a small fee you can apply to your local city or village council and the Royal Postal Service for permission to name your house. Once permission is granted and your house is named, your mail can be addressed to you using your house number or the house name and the postman will know how to get it to you. And we mentioned last season that according to some British realtors, naming your house can add as much as £5,000 to its value. Why live at number 11 Windsor Way when you can live at Pemberley, for example? Speaking of pounds, one of the most impressive things we hear about Mr. Bingley in the first chapter is the fact that he brings in between four and five thousand pounds each year. The best way to get a feel for just how much money that would be today is to consult Catherine Torrin's excellent article, The Economics of Jane Austen's World. We discussed this back in episode 9 of last season when we were talking about Captain Wentworth's fortune, so be sure to go back and give that a listen. But the summary is, due to the differences in how wealth was used in the 1800s compared to today, Torin places Mr. Bingley's income at somewhere between 2 and 6 million US dollars in today's money. 
Last season, we mentioned that Captain Wentworth had probably earned around $41 million during his time in the Navy. But remember, that was a lump sum of cash. The two to six million that Bingley's bringing in is annual earning. During Regency times, gentlemen earned income from two or three specific sources, excluding things like the Navy. The most common were interest from investment funds and rents from tenants on the land. We're told later on in the book that Bingley's family made their fortune through trade and that he doesn't yet own an estate, so it's most likely that his income is derived mostly from investments. So when we compare his fortune to Wentworth's, consider how much money Bingley would have to have set aside in investments somewhere in order to earn 2 to $6 million a year in interest. And then you'll better understand why Mrs. Bennett is so excited about the prospect of him marrying one of her daughters. Now, Mrs. Bennett is especially concerned that her husband visit Mr. Bingley so that their daughters may be introduced to him properly. Let's listen to her comment on this. But, my dear, you must indeed go and see Mr. Bingley when he comes into the neighborhood. It is more than I engage for, I assure you. But consider your daughters. Only think what an establishment it would be for one of them. Sir William and Lady Lucas are determined to go, merely on that account, for in general, you know, they visit no newcomers. Indeed, you must go, for it will be impossible for us to visit him if you do not. You are over-scrupulous, surely. I dare say Mr. Bingley will be very glad to see you, and I will send a few lines by you to assure him of my hearty consent to his marrying whichever he chooses of the girls, though I must throw in a good word for my little Lizzie. There are some pretty specific rules of propriety regarding introductions. Regency author Rachel Knowles points out that you have to be careful which sources you consult on this, because some authors confuse the rules of Regency society with those of Victorian society, which had evolved somewhat. Consulting a variety of sources, including Daniel Poole's What Jane Austen Ate and Charles Dickens Knew, and the 1837 Pocketbook of Etiquette, there are a few rules our Regency friends were expected to live by. Now, I should note that the 1837 edition of the Pocketbook of Etiquette was technically outside of the Regency era, but it was a revision of an earlier copy, and most of the rules were still the same. So, first, gentlemen were always presented to ladies, not the other way around. So if you see a situation where ladies are being presented to a gentleman, typically in a film, this is not how it would have likely have been done in the Regency era. Number two, after the initial introduction, if they were to meet again, the lady was responsible for determining whether or not the acquaintance was to continue. The Book of Etiquette instructs the man how to act in this situation, quote, in recognizing a lady in the street, always remove your hat and slightly bow. This is an intention and a mark of respect that every well-bred woman will demand, and if not yielded, will certainly consider you a fool and a bore. But the book further warns that the lady must notice you ere you presume even to give this mark of recognition. So the way the lady would give her approbation for this is when she caught the eye of the gentleman, she would nod her head, kind of a slight bow of head. And if she did that, then the man was allowed to then remove his hat and slightly bow and talk to her. And he wasn't allowed to detain her in the street. If he wanted to talk with her, he was supposed to walk with her in whatever direction she was going. Now, the third point of introduction that the Book of Etiquette mentions is that people of higher rank could introduce themselves to those of lower rank, but not the reverse. We see that later on in the novel with Mr. Collins. 
And it has a very pointed warning about this. It says, quote, the superior in rank and station should, except in situations of great intimacy, first speak to the inferior. The want of attention to this rule has often placed the unlucky ignoramus in very awkward situations. So, don't be an unlucky ignoramus. Now, there was an exception to the general rules of introduction, and that was what happened at a ball. If you were a gentleman at a ball, and there was a lady there that you didn't know but you wanted to dance with, you could appeal to the master of ceremonies for an introduction. He would then determine if such an introduction would be appropriate based on the relative rank of the gentleman and the lady and their situation. However, once you left the ball, this introduction didn't count as a real first introduction. You couldn't then go speak to one another as if you'd been truly introduced. In the case of the Bennetts and Mr. Bingley, since Mr. Bennett and Mr. Bingley were equal in rank, both being untitled gentlemen, and since Mr. Bennett was older and established in the neighborhood, it was appropriate for him to visit Mr. Bingley, and thus put himself in a position to later present him to his daughters. And again, that would be Mr. Bennett presenting Mr. Bingley to his daughters, not Mr. Bennett presenting his daughters to Mr. Bingley, as you'll sometimes see depicted in film. And we'll see the nuance of introduction play out a bit further when we have our first ball in chapter three. All right, that wraps up our first episode of season two of My Cousin Jane. Thanks so much for tuning in today. If you'd like to help support the show, please head over to leefalen.com slash mycousinjane, sign up for our newsletter, or click on the little donate button. You can also follow us on Facebook and Instagram. Thanks for listening.